All right, buddies. What did what are we what are we talking about on this here podcast? Where's 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 the old man? He's not joining us tonight. Oh, he's not joining us. This is a this is a this is a this is wow. a spirit animal podcast. <laughs> I still have to text him, wish him a happy birthday. Okay, wait, wait, wait. If we're all spirit animals, um, I feel like Roman's a saber toothed tiger tonight. <laughs> wow, he's kind of like uh. <laughs> you know extinct yeah. <laughs> or, or nearly <laughs> oh um you know like in a hanna-barbera cartoon wasn't there some like saber-toothed tigers i don't know yeah um i think there was oh no and, in the flintstones there was oh there you go, they had there a you saber go. Tooth, roman's yeah. got a flintstone saber-toothed tiger vibe going tonight i it's, would it's a living it's so yeah <laughs> flintstones <laughs> um Welcome to a Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, episode 218. It's a comic podcast. It's hosted by a bunch of people who run a comic shop together in Bellingham, Washington. Get a bunch of books every week, reading. Uh, mostly as a vehicle for us anymore to be able to talk about comics with someone instead of just talking to ourselves in the mirror about our opinions, which is, I'm sure, what the two of you also do as you read your comics every week when oh, you yeah. don't, right? I have to be, I have to be validated, right? I have to. It, it's only makes sense. It's only worth reading if I can voice these opinions at someone aggressively. I have um, a yeah. tri, I have a trifold mirror that I set up around me, so I feel, I feel like I've got a group. My favorite angle is when I hear Roman talking about it from the back left of his neck. <laughs> I can see right over there. He's got a great mole. Shut up, neckbeard. <laughs> I just strap my toddler in and make him listen oh. to me talk about the details of a. Uh, dense comics that he should never be touching that's yeah. why you got a kid i get it yep, yep. <laughs> i had to start a podcast but you had the smarter idea which is get I knew, a kid i knew we were gonna get locked down for a year and that you know i would just have to force someone to listen to me talk yeah. about comics and i can't get my husband to do it so you know that was beautiful foresight on your part i know like right? let's really get brilliant. pregnant let's do this because i've got a feeling I've got a feeling. He's not a newborn. Let's do it early (laughs) enough that like we can have help when we really need it. I want him to toddle. I want him to toddle while we're stuck in the house together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, Right. I'm. I. You're right. I said it. I'm Jeff. I'm Jeff. I'm Colette. Oh shit. I'm Roman. No. 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 (laughs) I've eaten a lot of spiced food today. So if I disappear at any point, it's because I had to go to another room and make there be less spiced foods in me so listen everyone if you don't know Django we gave him the week off it was his birthday this week Uh, many listeners maybe saw him on his birthday or have sent messages through the internet that's very well and good continue to do that Django's a wonderful boy we love him and uh and I hope that he's relaxing today although the worst part about giving Django days off to relax is that he doesn't relax you know so he comes back in and he's still stressed out and you're like Django you cute ice cream man, you. Not at all a reference to the ice cream man issue that came out this week, but plus actually, we'll, plus we'll have come up with some like new, innovative, brilliant idea to radically alter everything in the store. 
That's and, the you know, danger of giving him any yeah. time. I've got a new system I need everyone to adopt and abandon everything you've known yeah. until now. Guys, guys, so here's, here's my idea, guys. We're going to reverse the second floor and the first floor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of been the nice thing about the pandemic is that there's so many problems piled up on Django. He can't come up with new things to completely rearrange because he's true. too bogged down with all the actual problems facing us. It's true. We should take that into account. When the world starts back up and the store opens, <laughs> once a month, each one of us is going to have to generate a new problem that he yes. has to focus on solving. And what that will basically be doing is just keeping him, we'll create problems and we'll each take you know we'll do it as the podcast people so we'll rotate every third month or something mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. everyone's gonna be in charge of it and then someone's gonna forget one week and we'll only notice it because Django's gonna be like hey everybody i built new bookshelves and we're gonna be like whose fucking month was it whose month was it and who dropped the ball um oh poor problem shark Django. but uh we did mention ice cream man just a moment ago and i'm just gonna mix everything up whoa and we're gonna start with that book but oh, what a whoa. roller coaster i know i know but i'm gonna read them all out first we're gonna read uh talk about ice cream man 23 ultra mega number one <laughs> james stokoe's orphan and the five beasts number one superman red and blue number one also a lot of white in that comic nightwing number 78 x-men 18 and new mutant 16 because we know we haven't been talking enough about the the x-men lately and just league 59 also we got to stop on the old uh you know i was gonna try and tie uh andrews carl carlson's continuity corner into um that show we all love about maryland the wire <laughs> uh and the corner I was gonna try and do a reference to like the corner, Andrews Car Carlson's continuity corner, but I couldn't do it on my toes quick enough. So, uh, Will Elmer, I know you've seen The Wire, I'm sure, and you probably love it as much as we do. So if there's some joke in there somewhere, you're in charge of that. Get at us. It's great to see you too. You spent too much time with Django. You're becoming the idea man. Oh and no, you're right. pushing out the uh, the actual execution on other people. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, actually. Let's keep everything the exact same. I've got to stay Jeff on brand. I got to be like, no, that's, that's Jeff being on Roman brand. Speaking of on brand, I do. I did sort of throw Roman under the bus here. The joke is we now yeah. finally have the brain, well, kind of, to, to notice this. But every time Colette is on the podcast, it's an, it's an Ice Cream Man week. And Colette hasn't been reading Ice Cream Man. And everyone responds in a shocked way when she says that. So now... We know it. We I didn't even read it in prep for this ish episode, but Roman did. So Roman, start us off this week with a little Ice Cream Man 23. How was this book? You know, actually, I was just funning you guys. I haven't read it either. <laughs> did you say funning us? I did. You, I'm just funning you guys. I'm just turning you two into a well, couple of funions. Welcome to the Leave it to Beaver show. <laughs> oh, man. Let's give him the business. Oh, gosh. I love Roman's dated references. <laughs> Jango would know that one. I got Eddie it. Beaver. Eddie always said it. Eddie Haskell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh huh. We must all love that, that show. Out. Oh man, this was another. I mean, can I can I just say like I'm gonna mess things up even more and straight out of the box, this gets a ten for me. Oh, whoa! <laughs> oh my God, I just dropped pork bulgogi all over my shoe. Good <laughs> lord. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, I started reading this late at night laying in bed i was like all right ice cream man's usually a fast read sure i'll i'll knock this out real quick and yeah it's the experiment this issue is it's kind of a novel 
you know, every other page, there's one page of text and there's four main characters. Each page is like one of the characters in part one, next character, part one. But then the alternating page is the actual page of the story. And I just love the way they did this. At first I was like, oh my God, this is going to be quite a read in it, but it's so well-written. And it's, it's basically the ice cream man, though he's not identified as such, but it's you can tell by the art, it's the same ice cream guy. He's the fill-in uh, animal trainer guy on a late-night talk show that shows up, and his animals keep on attacking the host. But that's only kind of a minor plot. I mean, it's the device for the main plot, which is told in the prose pages of the host and his disintegrating marriage and uh his producer i think and his the way it all comes together it's so well done it's just the, the literary conceit here is just awesome i am stunned that at 23 issues in these two are still developing innovative ways to be telling these macabre stories yeah i have never seen a comic this way and, and it's i'm so impressed so yeah 23 issues in and they came up with this i was like oh my gosh this, this is amazing I just so, so, <laughs> none of those were even kind of words. As a show of solidarity with Colette, I have now given up Ice Cream Man indefinitely. I, oh no. I genuinely, no, I brought it home this week to read for the podcast. I saw it on the shelf and I'm like, fuck, I'm going to finally read an issue with this and for the podcast. And then I just had no time between then and now because fucking Django had a birthday oh. and we had a bunch of orders at the shop. So I had to go oh. in on Friday and help. God, oh. Oh. Um, and, uh, and I just really had to pick and choose what I could spend my time on. And a whole bunch of prose was not going to be it. And for a book that I've chosen not to read 23 issues in, <laughs> I'm not going to read the prose issue. Yeah. And then it's a fucking 10, of course. Yeah, yeah well, I, <laughs> well, it's a Roman 10. So. It, it almost. Yeah, it's like a I, soft and hard 10. I, <laughs> I almost put it down because of the prose and thought I'll have to read this tomorrow during the daylight. But I kept going because I was like, no, damn it. I'm, I'm a masculine. Wait, Roman, you kept going because you thought these guys are pros. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, trust, I trusted their prose-ness. <laughs> oh, that was a little bit of Roman humor coming your way. Roman. <clears throat> um, and it doesn't matter, readers, if you haven't read an issue of Ice Cream Man before this, you can read this issue. It doesn't refer to or have anything to do with previous issues. Um, it all works. What do you, uh, what you give Ice Cream Man a 10 is what you did. I do. I did. I good will. Lord. <laughs> good Lord. Good Lord. I'm so impressed. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Um, so on another Roman note, a book that we actually all did read this week that was going to be the first book of the podcast, Ultra Mega Number 1, Image Comics from James Heron, Dave Stewart on Colors. This is a 60-page kaiju-sized comic monstrosity <laughs> that I would say from a mile away you could have predicted was going to be a Roman book. <laughs> and then he texted me at some point midway through the week and was talking about how a, a great scene in it Um Oh, I didn't, I didn't talk about it. I just texted the scene. Okay, did you? I don't know. A, sh talk, a shot of, texted, you pedantic bubble. Yeah, a, shot, <laughs> a, sh a shot of the scene with the guy The guy with the... So I don't I even remember what it was. I just remembered that you you had texted. Well, it's at a party, and I there's a guy in a bear costume with a bow tie and oh. suspenders. And, and his dialogue is, so I says, I says, 
do I look like an amateur blowjob bear or a goddamn professional? Yeah. <laughs> and that so makes I me says, think of you. I says, uh, okay, that's what it was. Nice. Okay. Nice. That it's all very good. And if you can believe it, this somehow is not about bears that perform professional or amateur. No, no. That's just one, one tiny little panel. It has nothing to do with anything. Um, this book, James Heron had done Rumble and right was did you do some art in rumble he's tied to the mignola school of dark horse hellboy world he's done some bprd art um and i believe even written some stuff when uh mignola hasn't written it so he's into that sort of like monster school of things but this is this huge 60 page book with a spine that takes place in a world after there's been some sort of like horrible virus that causes people to just randomly turn into kaijus and for some reason three people were endowed with this ability that they turn into giant kaiju sized Ultraman Tiga looking Japanese monster fighters and they can't control it. They just become them. And that's it in a nutshell. But I felt like it was better than that. Colette, what did you think of Ultra Mega? I don't know what I thought of Ultra Mega. <laughs> yeah. It was um, a lot of big. It was a lot of big. It was a lot of stuff that I don't usually go for in a comic but I definitely like read the whole thing. No problem. And like, it was good. I just, it wasn't really a Colette book. So mm. I, I don't know. There were things about it that were great. I thought it was not only do the people with the virus turn into the, these Kaijus, but it's when they're in the presence of the three people that are the ultra megas. So it's this fucked up, like the person that can, kill them as the one that triggers I them they would just be watching that around fine in a way like, i didn't realize that mechanic of it i knew that like the ultra megas automatically turned in if they were around them but like two-thirds of the way through it i was like i think i'm missing some of the mechanics of how this works yeah so it's like when they're around someone who has the virus and doesn't know it it triggers the virus to mutate into becoming these giant kaijus which is this like well if you want to end the problem actually maybe Take just the have the people go away I, yeah. I don't know it it was more complex than i thought it was going to be um there's also like a baby in danger which is this now annoying trigger thing for me. i used to be fine with children <laughs> in danger in comics I was and comics and shit i was gonna and ask you about like, that scene because it was like stressful for me and i'm childless it was really stressful for me. And I find that the stress of that now makes me nitpick things that mm -hmm. I would have just been fine with. So like this big river of blood is drowning people and the whole thing with it, like clotted over and the baby I'm, I'm giving away like the major, oh, yeah, yeah, most yeah. emotional pop point in the end of the movie, but like the mother dies holding the baby above the water and is like suffocated because of the blood clots and everything. And I'm like, well, it would take too long. She'd be able to swim up. She wouldn't <laughs> like that. I don't want to face this child death. Yeah. The need for this child to not be left alone without both of its parents. I was like, pick it apart, pick it apart. No, but, um, I no, that that bothered me too. That part. Okay. I was like, I was like, blood doesn't, even kaiju blood probably probably doesn't oh it wasn't the kaiju it was even that term jeff used giant kaiju fighter person blood doesn't clot that quickly yeah like i liked the concept it was a cool creepy concept it just wasn't there i like i'm good at suspending my belief and letting like a cool con like it's fine it's fine just let it be a cool thing but it was just too far past the like yeah I don't know. I was, was like, it was fine. 
through the first half of it, I was like, well, this is kind of cool world building. I don't really like this hero team that much. And I don't really like the guy that is this hero. And then two thirds of the way through spoilers, everyone spoilers, ultra mega. You should, I think people should check this book out, but here I'm going to spoil it. They just kill off all of those people. I think the kind of reason that this issue is 60 pages and is huge is that it all kind of serves as this introductory, almost like cold open for the series. that is going to be what maybe seems like his kid is going to maybe be this sort of younger ultra mega version. And I did like that because I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't like the dad and he's like just been away for years because he keeps turning into this hero. So he's been neglecting the wife and she's exhausted. And then there's a baby like that part. I was like, that's sad. But then he mm-hmm. dies and she dies and the baby lives and is maybe this kid at the very end. Like, I don't know. I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised that at like two thirds of the way through the story, it took a very different directional shift than I thought it was going to be going in. I'm much more interested in the story that it seems to be setting up than the one that was told. Like I just felt sad and like in a, a pitiful kind of Effectively way, sad, sad for everybody in this story and just it also very much as I was reading it I was like okay so James Heron stuck in a pandemic with something to do and then he watched some Ultraman and <laughs> as I got further in I was like oh he started watching Pacific Rim too and yeah, like Evangelion, I'm all down there's a yeah. ton of anime like specifically in this yeah. and I'm like oh this is like Evangelion like that's an Evangelion I, shot I don't mind seeing people's inspiration and stuff but it felt very recent <laughs> like i could kind of pinpoint like and well you know yeah you had to do something with your time in a pandemic make a comic i i really like this more than i expected to uh right from the beginning with this the thing that gives him his power that's kind of watcher like being it, it read like a like the first half of the first book of a manga series yeah i wasn't expecting it to have so much depth to it i mean it's much a lot more body horror and um, seriousness than I expected in it. You know, not just the violence, but at one point, I think when the the main character, the dad, when it shows, you know, why he, and it was already always away from his wife all the time and everything because of his job. But when his uh, kaiju sense, whatever, detected the virus in his wife undiagnosed, and then he runs away, and abandons his wife and child so that they won't turn into kaiju um, because of his presence. That was that was tragic. Mm-hmm. And a lot. Of, oh, there's just so much horror in here, which really surprised me. It did have that like, and he. I read the back matter, Roman. I know you did, <laughs> but he uh, he. There you know, was, he there says. Was back matter? Well, there was just a little write up. Oh there. yeah. Oh yeah. I read um, <laughs> right up from the writer and the artist, but yeah. he did you know mention the overt inspirations he had going into this but he was like i've never written a comic before and i didn't you know i I didn't really know how to do like a 20 page thing but i read a lot of manga and so i was more comfortable just letting this be paced the way that it naturally felt like it was going to be paced and and i liked that because i do like the speed of manga you look at like a japanese graphic novel and you think like if that's like a western comic it's going to take a while but it's like two or three times as fast to get through it and and this had an amount of that so I really, I don't, it's not often that it feels like to me, comics can blend like Eastern manga style comics with Western comic sensibilities this often. 
so much so even yeah. because like manga is usually black and white because of the speed that you go through it so they don't mm -hmm. spend a lot of time coloring it but this is colored so it's cool to see that like manga with color yeah and he did oh okay he didn't color dave stewart colored but james heron did the rest writer and artist yeah yeah what do you said it was it's pretty amazing all of that in here and at the end of the end we get max introduced and that's exciting yeah well and i did as i was reading this so like the scene with the baby and the dried blood and the mom like i was i was bummed out by that so i was eager even as we were getting to this i was gonna see where that hit you at that point the book got markedly darker and like <laughs> fucked up mm -hmm. and this idea of a giant and all of his blood pouring out and it like slowly scabbing. And I don't think it would scab because I think that technically what forms the scab is the antibodies in your body, like healing and fighting a thing. But still this idea of a city filled with like blood scabbing and drying and congealing is like so gross. I loved the idea of the the tsunami of blood coming out of the giant like that. It's like, oh, yeah, that would that actually makes sense and that's a cool creepy thing it was just the speed it was yeah. the, like it was the details that got to me about it it's like no this was this could have been really on point and cool and I don't yeah know. i i give this i'm gonna give it a relatively high score i'm gonna go nine um i'll give it a seven yeah seven and a half. Oh, you don't have sure. to do that you don't have to do that i think it was good it's you know it's always hard to differentiate when you recognize that something's good yeah. and you appreciate it but didn't like it what yeah. that good score deserves to be jeff and know. boom number one comics <laughs> yeah well, i think i'll go a, a nine as well okay and there was a lot in this i i really liked god the monster is so gross it is <laughs> okay well then on another monster book Another monster book. We'll talk about this one a little bit quickly because I don't even know that we have many of them to go around. I sent it out in the email. I was telling everyone like we I've only pre-sold half of these and we need to sell out of these, but people hadn't pre-ordered it. And then, you know, what we've learned is if you build a website, strangers will start start ordering them or something. Um, but uh, we're out of them now, and I hope that our local readers got to read them. James Stoka, Orphan and the Five Beasts. He is a comic book artist, writer, creator who does pretty much everything in his own, yeah, script, art, letters, and cover. Stoko art is almost like just an acidic, psychedelic thing to behold. It is, uh, there's nobody who has art like him. The closest is probably like Jeff Darrow in terms of the really, really highly, intricately detailed stuff, but I think that uh, Stoko does even more fun coloring stuff than like a Jeff Darrow does. Roman, what'd you think of Orphan of the Five Beasts? I liked it a lot. It was, I saved this for my last read of the week because I knew it would, you know, take a while to really absorb everything in the panel because it's so highly detailed. It was a good read. I mean, there's nothing super surprising here because it follows a lot of uh, martial arts legends and, and martial arts movies from the 70s and 80s a lot of the tropes and all those but it's just so beautifully rendered and presented i mean it's 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 really cool we got your classic like kung fu orphan has been raised in this place and taught these lessons by this guy who at one point had to teach these five people or spirits the techniques of their ancient clan because they were trying to defend it from this monster and they learned it and then defeated him and now have maybe gone off and taken that power and are now troublesome themselves the story is what I will say is going into this, 
I was excited to look at it, but a problem, not a problem, but my feeling about Stoko is that oftentimes a Stoko book is something I really want to look at, but I don't generally love reading Stoko books. Like they're, I think Aliens Dead Orbit was some of his best like storytelling, but like Orkstein is fun, but it's kind of like a, a silly fantasy thing. He did some Marvel things that were weird. I often feel like the writing portion of a Stoko book is something I have to get through to appreciate the art of it. But I think that this one actually was some of the most grounded and kind of linear, like made sense why we were moving from spot to spot throughout the whole thing of his writing career. Like it's, it's one of the most um, cohesive things I feel like he's put out. Yeah. Did you, I've now I forget the title. He put out a one shot last year or the year before, I think was it a werewolf or something? He did Sobek, which was the snake Sobek, god. But, and yeah. that was the one he was exclusively distributing like, kind of like through a weird. Yeah. Did detailer. you read that? No. Oh, the okay. only person I know who got one is Ashton because he went to a small like yeah. Vancouver comic thing and got a copy of it. So I, we could probably read it. I would love to read it because, yeah. I, I would too. I, yeah, I was just wondering if you had read it because I wanted to see how this compared to that. Yeah, but it does seem like his writing has taken a step up. But oftentimes... His images are so great, but sometimes it just feels a little bit like here's nine awesome images that he wanted to put together. So you kind of just follow through it, but you're not necessarily sure why those are the images. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little worried about that going in, if that would happen. And um, there's a page early on when it shows the flashback of the five, five empowered um, people fighting the wolf demon or whatever he is in the past and, and luckily for me, that was like one of the few panels like that, because that's kind of that whole, just a whole chaos in one panel thing that if the whole book had been that way, I, I would have had maybe some some problems getting through it. Yeah, it's, it's like the difference between an awesome artist and a fantastic storyteller, like a cartoonist. Mm. Uh, he is a, draws amazing images, but um, I think being able to line up images in a cohesive way to tell a large amount of information is a different skill. But I think that he's uh further I, I think that's a skill that really is developing within him and i love to, to see that because his art really is some of the most stupendous stuff out there in comics i give it an 8.5 i would give like the nine for the art i think if the storytelling was just a little bit more a little bit more it would be a pretty easy nine for me but it is kind of a standard kung fu story but not even in the basic nuanced appreciative way that i have for like firepower yeah and it's it's colette did you read this uh, no, I packed up the last oh. shelf copy in to send it off to someone oh. <laughs> across the country and went, well, I guess I'm not reading this. Yeah. Oh, dang. <laughs> Customers, um. if you have any interest in the comic books we have in our store, I encourage all of you to buy them because if you don't, just some stranger's going to get it in like Wisconsin so that they can sell it on eBay for $9 plus free shipping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> geez. I'll, I'll probably, oh, geez. I think I'll give it. I'll give it an eight. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. Um, Colette, you read Superman Red and Blue? I think you read all portions, right? I did read the whole thing. Well, rather than spend way too much talking time talking about every single story in here, did you have a particular favorite story in here? I guess I'm actually particularly excited mostly. This is an anthology DC book, like Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood, or whatever that is, or Batman, Black, and White. Um, but you and I are the two people that I know that love Wes Craig's art. 
And in the last two weeks, we've gotten like, I think a Marvel and a DC story by Wes Craig, which is crazy. Yeah, I um, I remember being really excited when I saw that he did a Superman story for this. And then I completely forgot. And I, the story before it, I was um, uh, at a lot of thoughts on, but I don't know. <laughs> that anyway, um, so to get to that one, and I was like, oh, that's right. And it was by far my favorite part of this this whole book it was like it was enough uplifting superman story it was i don't know it was fantastic art i superman is not a character that super grabs me <laughs> super mm. um i like when a superman story kind of like with captain america too where it's more about the people around him and the stories that happen because they're there than following this righteous wonderful do gutter mm -hmm. um so that even more I, I really liked this this story of of someone being a hero seen through superman's eyes and yeah like him seeing some like him having respect and admiration for somebody else was a cool little bit in there mm -hmm. the the second one I like liked a portion of it a lot, but like there was weird parts of the speaking that felt like that's like no one talks like that. Like there was just these weird moments where it was like, I don't know, it felt like a sort of like 70s Superman moral lesson or something. Yeah. And if that was what it was trying for, I, I don't know. As the child of a heroin addict, yeah. <laughs> I just had a lot of like, oh, it was just I'd go from one panel where it was like, oh, that's that's kind of a cool, that's a, a good message, like the conversation she has with her kid. Uh, there were moments that I was like, uh, but it, I was like, okay, this is being more respectful. But then it, the it, it rang too true and too so not accurate that I couldn't hmm. get that like, okay, this is, it wasn't far enough one direction or another. And I just, it mostly made me angry. Yeah, the the like, I, you know, I kind of liked the leading up to like the kid walking in and seeing his mom shooting up heroin, but then like the mom's perfect clarity of going upstairs and having this conversation and explaining why she's done that. And then she's sorry for it. Like that was the part I was like, I don't feel like a ton of heroin addicts have like that level of clarity and like balance. You know, like when doing this without you being able to see it, which is, it's like, is that, I think that's a hard dynamic to strike if you're a heroin addict, but I don't, I, you know, I don't know. My that, mom was a functioning addict. Yeah. I had, I had no idea. Like I she, didn't realize that you could be a functioning heroin addict. Like you can be using just enough to not be in withdrawal to be do, like, I mean, you get fucked up at times, but you yeah. can just use enough to maintain your addiction and mm -hmm. not, be just gone all the time i things like just our house the doors were kept open all the time and then all of a sudden he's home early and like no okay well for one that wouldn't be it, she all of a sudden like oh you know i got like my boss was handsy and and i lost my job and things so i did so it I, in the kitchen this it, time it's like this is a pretty fucking big jump right here and then all of a sudden so i started using heroin because you know there's no lead up to that. And, and this door is like, no, you just, especially if she's a functioning addict, like she's going to know how to hide that shit. I did it, like the end of it. This like 
my mom died. I didn't necessarily like, I wasn't super believable that like this kid grew up and then he was the other like level of clear clarity that he was speaking to Superman about, which is like my mom just died and all of this stuff. And I have some resentment towards you for not saving her, but also I can be the adult like talking to you as super. Like I liked that, but it was like, that was one of two conversations where I was like, this is a little clean. It's a little crisp around the edges for something that I think would be a really raw emotional thing but i did love the resolution of like superman feeling bad that he wasn't able to do more vowing to do better and that she wanted to see the stars so he like takes her ashes up to the moon so she can like that is a great superman moment yeah i i loved that part of it it was to me it was there was i don't know this feels like the kind of story where you it wasn't messy enough early on to kind of make the ending make sense for her what do you think roman's favorite story in here was (laughs) I bet it was the first. The, I think maybe the first was my favorite. I hope it wasn't the last. <laughs> You're right, Jeff. The first one was my favorite. Yeah, I, I really liked that one. I did too. And, and that's that's the one where Clark, it starts off Clark Candy's going to another country to interview, to interview this uh, dictator. And in flashback, we see that the first time he was there was as Superman. And I forget why, but the dictator's army captures him or no he loses he loses his powers for some reason there's some kind of red crypt they developed some light version of a kryptonite that like they could they synthesize some light kryptonite that depowered him yeah yeah depowered him and he tries to escape and changes into those clark can't close but they capture him and they know he's superman and they throw him in a they throw him in a you know a, a camp and he's there for i think six months or eight months or something being tortured by this dictator's goons and so now, in current times, Clark Kent's going back to interview this guy who tortured him. And it's just, it's some, it's some great statements on being helpless and being under the prisoner of a regime like that. And he's interviewing this guy who's, I think, this dictator years later. He's maybe served some jail time, but he's come out of it great because he has money. And I think he's written a book or something. And the guy's still a public figure. And Clark's just trying to come to some kind of terms with this guy and what he did to him. I mean, it's got some unrealistic stuff. Like when I read that he was, he was captive there for six months or eight months or whatever. Eight months, I, I know. I was, I was... Yeah, I was like, where was the Justice League? What exactly. about? And he does say that Batman helped him escape eventually. But it's like, eventually, eight why months? did it take eight months yeah, for like Superman? I mean, that's two silly. days of no Superman. <laughs> people are going to be like, we got to find Superman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that part, I that was one of those... Uh, suspension of disbelief things i had to put aside all my questions <laughs> wonder what would have come in and busted them out i mean come on <laughs> that one was my favorite as well i wish that the ending felt a little bit more like summative it it, it was a little bit like you know what but the, some people will always care and i'm one of them and, and he jumps off because i thought we'd had this yeah. pretty cool story about superman undergoing a traumatic superman experience and uh it, it opened some cracks within Superman, but then kind of just like, oh, but I'm a I'm a go getter. The end felt a little vengeful for how yeah. uh, evolved the story felt like it was all about his evolution past this experience and learning about borders. And I, yeah, I, I really liked it. But that end was just kind of like, wait a second. So yeah. he's here to seek out vengeance. Like, it, well, I didn't get the sense he was there to seek out vengeance. He was there to. Because he says that he could write an expose and everything, but then he doesn't. I got it. I misread it when I was reading it. I didn't catch this 
a car goes past and then a police car goes past and the next one and it's a whole bunch of cop cars and that's when he's stripping down to being superman i miss i miss red and the thing that i just got while Roman was talking is that throughout the beginning of he's like this is the only time i've had sweaty palms in my life like he's scared to go to this country and i think he's scared to be superman in this country because they have a tool that can render him useless and i think that maybe by him opening his shirt and choosing to be superman there it's actually an act of courage and choosing to be superman in this country where they were able to capture him up and use his weaknesses against him so it's kind of a, a courageous step to be this thing that in this place where he actually has a defined weakness oh yeah i think yeah i think you're right because yeah this guy is no longer the leader of this country so yeah i think you're absolutely right i i i think that superman is a great character to have one of these anthologies i wish that it was a little bit more like the batman black and white thing where it's like let the artist write the story we've got writers paired up with artists here and the art was all fine but I think that it's the artist is second fiddle to the writer here. I guess Wes Craig wrote and drew his, but um, I, I think that I would be very interested in just allowing a lot of artists to sort of take their own little moment of Superman and show mm. what that character means to them and not just writers who maybe have already had the chance to do that. And that's what I like about, you know, Batman black and white and stuff. Mm-hmm. I give it an eight. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I'll give it an eight too. Cause I, I really liked the first three stories. Okay. Calessa, then what do you give this this uh, Superman red and blue anthol? Um, I'm going to do a seven. I just love seeing our guy, Wes Craig, At in that... Marvel and DC books. Mm-hmm. He deserves yeah, a paycheck. And, and getting to just do his own thing. I, I love his, when he does little anthology, his little just like five page stories. Stuff, right? And yeah, all that kind of stuff. I love when he does those short little things and it was cool to get to see him do do that on the big scale i'm gonna mix up this uh (laughs) arrangement a little bit because i think that nightwing would be fun i know that our guest read that one so Mm -hmm. i'm gonna switch that one out for justice league 59 this is bendis's first issue on justice league david marquez did the art on it i'm excited to hear romans (laughs) i'm excited to hear colette's thoughts on this as well but i i i'm i have a a personal I journal about every time Roman talks about a Bendis book. Oh, geez. I better put some more uh, thought into what I say about him then. <laughs> um, I was Colette, really ex- what did you think about this? <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. put Roman on second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a um, joke. I, I just know Roman doesn't like Bendis. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I don't usually read Justice League. I actually even read the backstory, the Rombi. Um amazingly well i know i wasn't gonna and then i was like oh wrong me sure i'll read a justice league dark i'm doing the podcast live it up guys um you know i enjoyed it i don't read justice league i don't read much dc beyond the bat family so a lot of it doesn't like resonate much to me but i I enjoyed myself. There was one moment that I thought was like, okay, like Bendis or not, this is fucking solid storytelling is when Oliver's talking about why he thinks that they should bring some new people into the Justice League. And he says, well, for example, we all know, we have all known each other for a a long time. And sometimes when that happens, people start to see things through a similar prism, even us. 
We need to get new voices in here, some disruption, some dissent. And like, that is the most solid, straightforward reasoning for adding new people to a longstanding mm-hmm. team that I've seen either. Usually it's just like, oh, no, no, it's fine. We're just, we're adding new people or they, a writer will bend over backwards and create this long drawn out thing to try and justify new people coming on the team. It's like, you know, groups need to often bring in new blood and new ideas. And then there's a little bit of conversation about the opposite side of that and it's, and moves on. And I just thought that was like fucking solid storytelling. It didn't um, hit you over the head with it, but I, I loved that. And then right after that, I think we could, you know, I love that Oliver voices that concern and Superman's like, I agree, Oliver. And I liked the stability of Superman there because mm-hmm. I do think that Bendis has a good grasp on what Superman's role is. And I like that he is able to emphasize like, no, Superman would know that like bringing up other voices and like getting other people in here is important. And he's like, I agree, Oliver. What do you think we need to do? And I'm like, that is a good leader. And mm-hmm. that's what Superman should be. So I, I, uh, I appreciate that. I- fucking loved oliver's line after that too by the way as a rule when superman agrees with me i don't care what anyone yeah. else thinks yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah mm-hmm. yeah you just superman agreed with me i'm not this isn't discussion time anymore bye bye guys i think it did you know a thing that like, i love bendis but in that regard of like the prism and we see things with the view of the people around us you know i'm always like i always get a little bit wary when i'm like he's doing that thing that's gonna upset roman you know like, where i'm like <laughs> I'm like, that sounds a little bit more like a 23-year-old than it. Um, just no specific moment in here. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say that the part you just you two just talked about was my favorite part of the story. Yeah. And and I, I thought that was really good. There was one or two moments where I thought, you know, like I really liked when Aquaman, I laughed out loud when he like does the line about like, normally I don't do a, a, a shark wall or something yeah. on someone, but... <laughs> When Aquaman showed up to the water there, he said something. I forget exactly what it was, but I was like, I wonder if that feels out of line. You know, like th- There was a couple moments where I thought like, oh, I-, I could see maybe Roman not loving, you know, r- not not Roman specifically, but maybe Roman takes the face of the voice of people who have, uh, he's not the only one who has the feeling that Bendis kind of uh, youth, not euthanizes, but makes youthful <laughs> uh, voices that aren't necessarily needing to be youthful but uh i love the way marquez drew it i love the almost mobius-esque look to superman when they show up on that page that has like their little name like he looks like he looks like a uh, miracle man in the original alan moore like miracle man like, he looks like this fluid almost like goddess looking man i love it mm-hmm. um, yeah i don't know it was also inconsequent I, I think bendis is really good at writing team dynamics but i do think that this fell into the same traps that he sometimes has which is i think he's better at writing certain like team dynamics and getting specific voices right but i do think he then um some other people who have unique voices start to just sound a little bit closer to the middle with him if that makes sense roman mm-hmm. what were your thoughts now that we now that i danced around my fears of your thoughts <laughs> It was okay. I mean, I really liked that that moment with the Green Arrow and Superman and the League, um, which I had to remind myself, you know, that's a good moment to have for people that are new to or the current, the new generation, whatever, because I was thinking it was a good moment. But I was also like, yeah, but I've seen Green Arrow give the same speech before in like 1978. I've seen Batman do it and and 
both to the Justice League, and that's why Batman left and created the Outsiders. And there's there's still good points. It's just I've I've seen it before, right. but then I realized that other people that aren't my age haven't seen that before in Justice League. I was excited for it because I you know I like the Shazam character, so I was really curious why Black Adam is joining the league, and I'm excited about that. I'm not a big fan of the art. I thought Black Adam's too pretty. Yeah, um, it's it's that's a weird point, Roman, <laughs> because. I, that stood out to me as well. I do like the art. I like Marquez, especially on Spider-Man. But there's a clear intention in this book to be making Black Adam not look overtly like a bad guy. Like, he does not have a stern yeah. brow. He doesn't have a angular jaw. Like, he, he's, like, a pretty and kind. There's, like, a depth behind his appearance. And I think that... I think all of that is related to the fact that DC for years now has been trying to get this The Rock Black Adam movie made. Yeah. And that's never made sense to me because it's like, why would we want a Black Adam movie at this point? Like three or four years ago, it's like, we don't even have a Shazam movie. Why is that what The Rock is going to do? So I do think there is like a push to sort of humanize and make that character be one that people would want to see in a movie. And that's yeah. what this feels related to to me. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah, I think that's why Black Adam is in the Justice League book um, yeah. to help that that tie into that movie. Uh, but also just the kind of the art and and actually, I guess the coloring, it was just all kind of, I mean, it's serviceable, but I was kind of bored with the, except, except when whatever the bad guy's name is, um, Brutus. Hornhead man. <laughs> um, <laughs> when he grabs Black Adam and slams him to the earth and then, but then keeps on going carving a big path i mean i thought that was a cool scene but yeah for the most part i was like yeah it's all it's, right it's all right I, I was i mean i'll read the next one i'm, I'm not thrilled but i'll read it I, I really like the backup story more actually yeah colette what were you just gonna say i, I was gonna say i really like marquez but i don't think this was his like his best work I also think this kind of falls victim to the fact that it's the beginning of a new team book, which I find can so often either it is or has to have something major happens and it's a punch or it's just all kind of set up and feeling out. And I, I thought it was pretty forgettable. Yeah. But I, in a not resentful kind of forgettable. <laughs> and I, I think that like the big thing, I think you hit it the nail on the head there, Colette, which is I haven't been reading Justice League. I, I always want to read Justice League and I get on board for a while and there's like a good arc and then it just dips into a story that's just like, why do we need all these characters together for this like sea level story? Um, but this, I actually, I felt like the way that they played off of each other without overtly playing off of each other. Just like, it made sense to me that these people liked and knew each other. Mm -hmm. Like when, when he gets punched way over there and then the shark wall comes up, I'm like, yeah, okay. like they, they have this sort of way of connecting. And, and that to me is, you know, one of Bendis' strengths is that he, he makes, he does make it feel like people know and like each other. And, and I really like that. What do you guys give your scores on that one? Uh, the seven. Yeah. I think I'm the seven girl tonight. I, I would yeah. go to seven. I'm going to go eight, but I, I, I will not, I don't want to discount the fact that I have a, a Bendis, there's a Bendis shaped hole in my heart. And when he puts a book out 80% of the time, it sort of tickles that part of me that mm -hmm. I, like I, I, I do. I just like that. He's out there making comics. Um, okay. So then before we get our guest in here, let's just talk. Let's just talk a little bit. Oh. We got Colette here. We don't have Django <gasps> here, but X-Men books. Oh. I I took a little just a brake push brake pedal push after Ten of Swords. I read a lot of stuff I didn't love. 
I read, I, I just was not super pumped about what 75% of that story was. And, it, and, and so I've just been, I took a little break and also the main X-Men book we got in way late. So we're going to be talking about new mutants and X-Men. Both of these should have come out a couple weeks ago, but our boxes were delayed. They're here now. Colette, you're here. You are a longstanding X-Men fan. I love this Hickman X-Men stuff and most X-Men stuff in general, but, um, um, I kind of got pretty burnout on X-Men for a while there. Too, I, yeah. uh, I haven't even read any of X of swords yet other than the one Wolverine issue I read for the podcast. Don't read um, that to not be burnt out. No, I know. <laughs> and I, I just got really frustrated with, I was, there was stuff that I was liking, but I just really get frustrated when there's supposed to be a cohesive world and it doesn't feel like any of the writers are talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, I just kept, I found myself getting more and more resentful of that feeling. And yeah. so I just had to walk away for a bit, but I, I started the new, new mutants with, uh, Vidayala writing it and that I've been liking. And this Hickman, I finally picked up and I, you know, I didn't feel begrudging after reading any of this, which is good. <laughs> like new mutants I'm enjoying. It feels kind of schizophrenic. Yeah. They're fitting a lot of stories in at once that mm-hmm. I like when there's multiple storylines, but it feels like a lot. Um, I was like two issues, in. maybe two issues of New New Mutants behind, but I dipped into this one and it starts off and they go to Otherworld. And I'm like, no, that's <laughs> why I fucking dipped out. I don't <laughs> want this shit. I God. I mean, maybe they'll actually manage to make it more interesting. Yeah. I, I don't you know. know. They keep I, trying. Yeah. You know, it's, it feels more what I like about reading about mutants than a lot of the other books have. Um, So I will definitely keep going on that one and I'll end up reading everything eventually. But yeah, you know, I like, I liked two of the three storylines within it. I think that like, I I kind of identified my feelings this week while reading these ones and Wolverine and X-Force, which is that I love house of X and powers of 10 and what Hickman did there. And I've, I was so excited Mm -hmm. and he did and they all did exactly what they wanted to do, which was create this sort of platform to tell a whole bunch of stories off of. And what I wanted to speak anatomically was there to be sort of this like spine book that was Hickman's book. And then Mm -hmm. all of the other books to be these like ribs coming off of it, like Mm -hmm. all these logical stories. But I haven't gotten like since powers of 10 and house of X ended, I haven't felt like that book is the driving force. It feels like everything else is like simultaneously existing. And I really want there to be a driving intellectual or not even necessarily overly intellectual, but just like, you know, like I think swords should have been more of a Hickman story and not just this big, it should have, I don't know. They, they think they too quickly, dissolved the band and stopped it being hickman's thing and now it's everyone's thing please go ahead i i lost what i was saying because what you were saying was good i i don't even know that i had something to say other than yeah i there should be that cohe that one pillar story that all the other side stories are aware of and therefore making sure things fit when you like, okay, House of X and Power of Ten were like this platform to create a big world, but it set up a very tight-knit world. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to set up a really tight-knit world where everybody's living on the same small island and you've got plenty of people crossing stories and everything or reference each other all the time, but not 
talking to each other about actually making your stories align it just it makes the differences more apparent than would be if you were reading justice league and aquaman and batman and superman and um yeah there's just not that that driving force and i like i liked the idea it took me a minute to wrap my head around like oh the the mutants are finally doing well and they did this solid like all of a sudden they've finally gotten ahead and oh wait no x-men can never be doing well everything's just gonna get worse okay i can do that i can have it all fall apart but it just i don't know roman where where are you at with it you read these right well yeah yeah i've i've is was was this same writer Ayala was were they writing it um no when the new sorry uh, when, when the new mutants were in Shi'ar space doing that thing at the beginning mm-hmm. of the series oh okay. was Brisson oh okay. yeah, um, it, it, yeah. Huh. Ayala took over like two issues ago yeah. I think oh okay because I, I read this and I was thinking boy what happened um because I really liked the first whatever year of this series and right now I'm I mean I'm like Colette was saying, there's so many storylines going on. Like when Rain shows up in here with her I dilemma, no I, I was like, I had forgotten about that. I was like, oh, that's right. That's going on with her. Okay. I did like that they, <laughs> in the issue before that it was Elixir that she contacted to figure out where her son was in the lineup since they mm. used to be on X-Force together. Mm. Yeah, see, there's a lot of characters in this that are from X-Books I never read. So I'm like, who is this? Who are these people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was curious, Colette, which um, two storylines did you like? And you said there was one you didn't out of this issue. Uh, I mean, the stuff going to Otherworld is what I'm oh. just like, oh, no, please. I like <laughs> the Shadow that. King stuff. Me too. Yep. Um, yeah. I even, I'm interested in the rain and stuff. I completely forgot about the thing with her kid and all that. And, and this like, oh, I mean, she should have someone else she could be talking to right now. Um, I feel like the voices are much better in this than a lot of the X-Books for Mm -hmm. these same characters. The characters feel more familiar to me than they have in a lot of stuff Mm. um, with Ayala, but I don't know that I love the actual stories that are happening as much. Yeah, that's an excellent way to put it. I think I I totally agree with that point, Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I guess just X-Men, th- there was four X-Men books that came into our store this week. So I'm just like, X-Men as a whole right now, how do you two feel? One out of ten, one, one to ten. X-Men as a whole? Um, uh, I guess for me as a whole, probably a seven or eight. I don't even know what the other two X-Men books were this I'm, week. Wolverine and X-Force. I'm going to say 7.5 is what I was thinking. Like, uh, I, you know, I... I'm excited and I'm ready to be excited as soon as it like I'm ready to feel like it's going to course correct. But I just feel like we're kind of languishing in a directionless space for a while. I I can't give it a, a score because I, I I burned out and I'm just finally getting to the point where I can kind of try okay. it off again. I'm still feeling too frustrated by how it was eight months ago or whatever. Yeah. And I. Uh, I mean, I liked this X-Men issue. It was blink and you missed it. It was so fast, but like, fuck, give me Laura any day and I will be happy. So these are making me feel okay with getting back into reading more X-Men books. Yeah. But I don't 
think I'm going to go back and read the giant stack of things that I'm behind on. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to be reading all of it, but I just need to make peace. So like some of these books, I'm just not going to read and I need to not stress myself out about it. Well, hey, let's invite our good friend, Andrew Carlson, the, to the old event here. Um, we'll hit the admit button. Admit, admit, admit. Yeah, that's a word. That's a word. Yep. I, I know that word. That's a word. That's a word. That's a word. Andrew Carlson knows that's a word. Welcome it's to not the like turgid though. Turgid. <laughs> no, Roman or sorry, Django's not here, and that's a Roman word. <laughs> or sorry, Django word. Andrew, you're here. Thanks for, for joining us. It's, it's fantastic to have yeah. you. Oh, absolutely. We love um I challenged when I addressed that you were gonna be here, I challenged Will with coming up with some clever combination of like Carlson's continuity corner and the corner from the wire. <laughs> where they deal the drugs, the corner. I don't know. I, I just, I'm only assuming that Will watches The Wire and has a deep respect for it and will be able to do something very clever because he's very clever. But before we get here and get into doing what we brought you here to do, we actually have one more book to talk about that I know you read because you were at Django's birthday party with us yesterday and you had said you read it in advance of that. So everybody, let's talk about Nightwing number 78 by... Uh, Mr. Tom Taylor, a writer that we all know Tom, pull and love on my at fucking heartstrings, Taylor. Yeah, exactly. And then art by Bruno Redondo. This is Tom Taylor's first issue on the Nightwing book. And historically, has he been doing more Marvel? I feel like, well, I guess no. He does a lot of DC, I guess. He does, he does a lot of DC, DC stuff. For sure. I... Yeah, he started out doing that like friendly neighborhood spider -Man. yeah and uh, well, i think even before that he did an x-23 wolverine series yeah all new wolverine yeah yeah so he's had his feet in both camps which i like that he's not been signed to like an exclusive contract anywhere because i just in a world where we get a lot of voices that are like kind of you know mountain high plain yogurt <laughs> Um, I think uh, Nightwing, I think Tom Taylor has a specifically like really unique tone of voice. And this book I read at Andrew's prompting. I was going to read it either way, but he was like, you know, I'm reading this for the party. You, should, you fucking put this in you. That's my impersonation of Andrew Carlson. Put this fucking comic book in you. Um, and I just like, I can't think of the last time that a Nightwing number one quote unquote was this good I, I don't know if i've ever read a nightwing number one quote unquote that was this good roman you've read books since the dawn of time is, this, <laughs> is, that, is that accurate what let's get into this here well it certainly doesn't compare to when he was just grayson <laughs> by tom king no but what after he got shot and lost his memory oh when he was oh, rick grayson. yeah rick grayson yeah that was okay the best night. I thought you were talking about the Tom, Tim oh, Seeley yeah. Tom. That's, oh, no, no. That's the pinnacle Nightwing for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like Rick. I, I like this. I like this story a lot. I mean, there was. I had to put aside my um, continuity cop hat mm -hmm. on a few things. Like you know, I prefer the old the old thing that Dick Grayson met uh, Barbara Gordon when he was like ten and she was thirteen or so. Not when they're both apparently, I don't know, late high school here, maybe, I can't tell. This is the one I couldn't tell from the art how old people are supposed to be. How old? <laughs> I, 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 could totally, I could totally see that. Yeah. Um, I thought that it was like 12, 13 was my guess or my read on it. But And this issue, I mean, that's, yeah, that's where I mentally, my head puts them at that age. But if that's the case, I was like, wow, so are these like high school 
guys beating up on these kids what's going on oh it's flashback stuff that's junior high age stuff I, everyone had I, a, a coded I, suited bully in junior high right andrew <laughs> yeah, of course yes um no i guess that they were it looked like i don't know like they were freshmen or sophomores in high school and maybe these guys were seniors mm, um, okay yeah kind of that like late middle school early high school time but yeah definitely a little more vague the kind of Darwin, Cook, Jorge, Fornia's, Mazzuccellian, like, flatness of everything uh, mm -hmm. kind of blurs that age. I think that this is the best moment in comics that we have had relating to Alfred's death since he died. I think in the Tom King rung, there was one issue that I felt like, I can't remember it, but I feel like I remember giving a high score to a book that felt like it dealt with the loss of Alfred, possibly. But this, to me was the most emotionally impactful thing that we've done about a character mourning the loss or feeling the loss of Alfred and also kind of just eulogizing that character by showing how much other people meant to him. I, I just, that to me was the star of this issue outside of this double page spread where he is jumping off of a skyscraper oh, yeah. on the, you know, the sunset of Bloodhaven. But yeah, yeah, that was beautiful. And yeah, the Alfred moment is what, what really yeah. caught me. Oh, you know, from... I was a little baby. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was that double page spread was super. I mean, it's you look at it and you immediately are like, okay, there's a lot of text, whatever. But then uh, you're immediately you see Master Grace and you're like, oh, Alfred, for sure. Oh, Alfred. Yeah. Um, Roman, were you just saying, baby? Um, I don't know. Oh, fuck it. We'll get <laughs> get back to Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, like even the way he wrote Alfred's was so he's got that um, kind of like regal British um posh nature to the way he talks um and the amount of kind of respect um and just deference he gives to dick was something that i i mean i had never imagined but seemed just kind of fit in logically with what i have read of mm -hmm. dick um the, the like bruce your mind is astonishing you can think in ways no one else can you are a problem solver and the world is full of problems I couldn't think of better hands to leave this fortune in that like those two bubbles right there were super well done. You know how like Wolverine, like his, his origin was ambiguous originally. And it feel, feels like as soon as we started giving up the secret of Wolverine's origin, he became a little less cool because mm -hmm. there was a less mystery to him in that same way. I always want Batman stories to have that sort of like fatherly love connection and they never really give it to you. You just want Batman to say like, Dick, you're like my son and I'm proud of you. Or like to tent, like you're always wanting, I always want just a little bit more fatherly recognition from Batman than I ever get. And I think that's smart storytelling because if they gave it to us, we wouldn't want it as much. I really loved that they gave us that with Alfred here. I love that he was like, I'm proud of you. And he refers to him as a son. I'm proud. We're, you know, we're proud to have called you a son. And I'm like, that is really what I needed here, guys. Oh, yeah. That that just killed me. And the, the whole idea that like, OK, yeah, Bruce teaches these kids and then adults a lot. And he mentors them. And he's there for them. But like Alfred takes care of everyone in that house. It's more that like to me, it's always been that big brother, little brother kind of like we're kind of in this together, but also I'm your mentor. And then there's Alfred. That's just that actual parent emotion that that strong, caring. I, this just 
fucking sent me over the edge. I loved this thing so much. <laughs> Even that scene earlier in the issue where, I mean, he comes home after the bullies and immediately just goes to washing dishes and Alfred's like, what, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm helping. And it's just that, that amount, I mean, he's living in this giant mansion was taken in by Bruce and he still just is like, I just want to help where I can. Like Alfred, try to lighten the load on your shoulders. And I really appreciated that. Like that was a really cool take on Dick that I haven't really seen. I mean, he's always been kind, but I don't, it hasn't been this emphasized. Um, and I thought that was really well done. I agree. Roman, did yeah. this stand in line with, yeah, your voices and stuff? It did. Yeah, it did. I mean, yeah, there was that minor thing about Dick and Barbara being older than they, they should be in my head when they meet. And I, you know, and I even like that they're bringing back uh, Blockbuster as kind of Dick's big villain in Bloodhaven. And yeah, he's kind of, if you're not familiar with him, he kind of just seems like a kingpin, kingpin knockoff. But what I like about Blockbuster is originally he's an old bat villain that was just this raging monster um and at some point in the 90s he gained intelligence or the drug gave him his powers whatever wore off affecting his brain and now he's this intelligent cunning but much more violent than the kingpin mm -hmm. um crime kingpin in the city i love like that scene where he grabs the person's head and just crushes it like it's, mm -hmm. it's yeah. you're like oh this is this is that story like this yeah, is a serious thing and when he opens up the briefcase and it's just filled with all those vhs rental tapes um andrew I'm was that a, a joke block, it was a blockbuster joke that i'm a sorry <laughs> i was like i didn't notice the vhs are they crime that was yeah I, that was <laughs> i i thought about watching the netflix show the last blockbuster that was being suggested to me today in fact so. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to flip back and find that panel. I was like, "Wait, were those tapes? Did I miss something?" I know. I was oh, like, "I thought I it was documents." No, oh. no, that's the the episode. Of, the name of this episode is Andrew does a big one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh God, I drop a yeah. big one. Andrew makes and a right, good one. And right in a big moment, because yeah, he, Blockbuster kills the mayor and sticks in his own puppet mayor now, and she's the. That was... Is she the daughter of Tony Zuko? Yeah, the old the old Gotham crime boss. The, and the one that ordered, parents. yeah, his parents, Dick's parents, apparently. Oh, right, yeah. yeah, that's right. I thought that was a really cool caveat to add in. Yeah, didn't obviously. I mean, I had zero expectations for this. Um, yeah, but yeah, it just was like, ooh, ooh, cool. Well, I think I think Colette put it right. Tom, pull on my heartstrings, Taylor. Like you mm -hmm. don't like. I just, I don't know. I think like I love Grant Morrison. He's like my favorite writer. Hickman tied, but like. They have a floor that is lower than Tom Taylor. On a score of one to ten, I feel like Tom Taylor seldom goes beneath like a six. Like he is just this very safe floor. Like he always pulls on my heartstrings to a point where I love it. Whereas Grant Morrison sometimes is just doing a book where it's like, well, this is what I want to do. And I'm like, that's cool. That's not super what I want to do right now. Like Tom Taylor is always kind of threading the needle of like nice character work with emotional beats that make me uh, feel a lot. And this artist, Bruno Redondo, not someone I'm familiar with. I just, in a world where people have to write and, sorry, draw backgrounds in comics. In a this world. Artist, in a world. <laughs> in a world where people have to draw and write backgrounds of comics. Um, I really dig 
how much work is going in to show the angles of buildings as represented by the illuminated windows, like in this one, they've got silhouetted buildings and it would be fine to just leave them flat and draw windows in it. But there's like this weird amount of work being put in to show the concave and opposite of concave parts of these buildings that have windows in it on multiple pages. And I, I just, that was a touch that throughout it. I was like, I really like the attention to architecture that's going on here. I give it a nine. I, I did. I did too. I like, it's funny. I really liked the artwork, but then there was like maybe two moments where the, I feel like the artist uh, screwed up continuity wise and mm-hmm. kind of drew, drew me out of the story. It was my, it was my um, holding the baby out of the blood tide. moments where i was like wait a minute from ultra mega yeah yeah um okay and one of them is when they're inside dick and barbara are at his apartment dick goes out on the fire escape again to get the dog hands her the dog and suddenly he's back inside the apartment with her but then she hands him her laptop and next panel she's outside oh he's back outside with his mask off looking at her laptop and it's like wait a minute yeah. Does I everybody actually, does everybody in your building know that you're Nightwing? Yeah. <laughs> Why I aren't you trying it. to? <laughs> I noticed that too, but I actually really liked the. It gave me a feel for the kind of level of worry that you have to put into a book. Like, no, no, no. This is going to be the kind of book where it's you don't have to worry about identity reveal or uh you just get to read it for the emotional moments and him sitting on that fire escape with his feet hanging out was Mm -hmm. such a just a wonderful emotive moment to me that it was like oh yeah this is this is about emotion through the art and the pictures more than it is about telling a rational story that's getting into the nitty gritty of this world. And And I I loved that about it. (laughs) The like the way that I loved his feet specifically, like you Mm -hmm. pointed out. And then on the following page, when he's like holding this letter and Barbara gesticulates towards it and then puts her hand on his shoulder and he starts holding her hand. That was a thing. I was like, that is your fucking Tom Taylor right there. Mm -hmm. Like that's the part where he reminds me that like we all, it's not our internal strength that gets us through things. It's the strength that we gather from the people around us. Like, that's ah, a physical yeah. cue to a large thing. It's 9.5. Oh. Fuck it. Oh, actually. yeah. Those are, yeah, those are two beautiful pages. But I but want, I, I agree with you, Ryan. I want all the, I want all the above. It's not good enough. Yeah. No, you also I, have to no, explain I, to me, at least in a line, why I, he doesn't I, care about his secret identity. No, and I, I frankly, <laughs> frankly, what I was just describing was a writing thing and not an art thing. I, I had, like, that had been written into the script that, like, Barbara extends her hand and he clutches it. I totally, agree i think that there are architectural things in this that work really well but i actually think like his general the character work or like in masks or outside of masks is a is pretty dc house style and i do hope that this is they're keeping in i know they don't care about continuity anymore supposedly in the omniverse but i do hope they keep in the fact that him and barbara have had a romantic relationship in the pretty recent past i would imagine i would hope so yeah i hope that's mm-hmm. still part of things what do you give it Romy? oh uh i give it a nine you know yes. just, just i mean just for even with my complaints i mean just for all that alfred and dick's and barbara's relationships collect 9.5 9.5 you and i wow. love it andrew for where walks you... past every nightwing yeah, comic yeah. on the shelf fuck yeah <laughs> we're doing justin proud tonight we're doing justin proud <laughs> He it's did not have Chuck a night, Dixon, he, but it's good. There, there weren't enough Nightwing butts in it. Yeah, um, <laughs> to be fair. 
I, I was going to say 8.5, but I think I'd go 9. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't think, which, what you guys said, like, I, I didn't catch all that, like, the hand on the shoulder. I didn't catch that. Um, it's beautiful. So, style. yeah, there was some, some subtlety there that I didn't So, miss. You so yeah, know I'll go about, 9. You know about how hard it is to have a score and then go into the podcast <laughs> and then try and maintain that score because you just you go up and down based on what people are doing around you. So on that note of the, just the subjective nature of these scores, why don't we take a Sesame street style walk down to Andrew Carlson's Canton continuity <laughs> corner. Oh no. Um, Complete with brand new Carlson's continuity <laughs> co- corner calculator. Oh, nice. I was in its own Conan corner. Like a Sesame oh, street song to write for Carlson continuity. Wow. Corner. That's like a, was that a quintuple? Quintuple So, for new listeners, if you aren't familiar with Carlson's Continuity Corner, Andrew Carlson approaches us with scores that the three or four of us at various times in the history of this podcast have given books. And he asks us what we think we gave those books, and then he tells us what we actually gave them. And it is a fun game to show that while we love talking about comics, we really just love talking about comics and the scores are a bullshit thing that we do to have some sort of like pretend merit tied into the whole thing. And frankly, there is, there is no merit, but the last time we did it was the last time Colette was on the show. Yes. So now you're a ruggler. She did. She won. Oh God. Don't remind people. I might fail miserably. All right. Colette, the pro, um, the undefeated Colette, the provocative um, and undefeated Colette. <laughs> it's a book. We have the, a book called The Provocative Colette at the store. I know. I'm named after her. Yeah, I know. Okay. I thought the book was named after you. Okay, yeah, you're right. My favorite book. <laughs> well, we're going to start in the fantasy realm of Once in Future number one. Ooh. Kieran Gill and Dan Mora. Any, anyone can start. Once Wait, Once in Future number one? Yeah, what did you guys give? Once in future, number one. I remember that conversation. Yeah, I do. Because you were like excited. Yeah. Like you mentioned like Morgan Le Fay. And I was like, ooh, I don't know anything Mm -hmm. about Morgan Le Fay. um, As you said that. It was part of the good week for blacksmiths. It was a very fantasy every week. White Trees was on that week. Three of us with Braden. And yeah, yeah, White Trees. Okay. It's the the one without all the penises. Okay, yeah, yeah I remember yeah. now. It, it was the one book from that week that didn't have junk in it. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I bet I gave it. I bet I gave it ooh an eight or an eight point five. I'm gonna say an eight point five. I'm gonna say I gave it an eight point five. I'm gonna oh I bet I gave it either a the nine point five or maybe even a gooey. Um, I bet I. I bet I gooeyed it. It's got Morgan Le Fay, King Art, all that. I probably, I probably loved it. Okay. Andrew does choose Roman gooey books from time to time, so gooey Roman books. It's hard to avoid them; they're everywhere. Although, if you've been to Roman's house, yeah, all of his books are gooey books. Just, <laughs> you're walking through the podcast. You're like, oh, whoa! There is a gooey. Oh, well, crap! Hey, two, two in an episode. Wipes. They're all stacked up around the pile of the Roman is shirts that he lays in. Whenever yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's I, where I they all am. went. I was just gonna say I that's am. where they I went. <laughs> um. I I give it a seven and a half. I think maybe seven point five. Okay, okay yeah. so 
Colette's 7.5, Jeff 8.5, Roman, I think, is 10. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colette's right on the money. Yes. Um, <laughs> no fucking way. I was, it already. I was certain she gave it a higher score than that. No, I'm shocked. Um, yeah. And both Roman and Jeff overshot. Uh, oh. Roman, you actually gave it an 8, so you're 2 above. Oh, okay. And Jeff, you gave it an 8 and a, you gave it a 7, so you're 1.5. Ooh, above. I wow. really did that one wow. wrong. Okay, yep. all right. Moving on, I can't wait for Colette to goose this one. <laughs> this is this is gonna be a fun one. Ex- exit stage left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles, number one. Oh. Nine point five. Was it a nine or a nine point five? Because I don't love the art. I think you're right. I think you were in that nine to ten range on that one. That was yeah. back when I didn't give anything a ten. I had a stupid thing in my head that like I've never read an absolutely perfect comic. So that was I the first two years of the podcast for me. And then yeah. I just started giving them out after I met Rowan's clam. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I gave it a seven point five. Mm, I bet I um probably probably an eight point five. Was Roman yeah. on that episode? I thought was I? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, if Ant- hey, listen. Oh, yeah, I must be, yeah. The king of the continuity I've... corner no, has I, yeah. the work. I just feel it, it's like I don't remember the two of us getting into some deep dive about Dorothy Parker was... on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I don't think you actually even mentioned Dorothy. I don't think you have mentioned any names on that specific episode um, because I think Django was there too. So you guys did, you didn't want to get too off track. Um, but man, I know there was. Yeah, some, you, some episode you were dropping or... a couple of like the Tennessee Williams and other references uh, that you knew from your childhood. That was super cool to hear about. Um, oh, there's so much more in that. Anyway, did, I mean, so it was nine point five. I'm still okay, clocking cool. in. <laughs> um, so let's start with Jeff. Jeff, yeah. you gave it a seven, so you're point five okay, high. Okay, okay, I'm too off. Uh, too, Not too, too bad. Score, yeah. uh, so Colette was actually correct. Roman wasn't on this episode. Oh, <laughs> he popped up right in the last five minutes of the episode and was like, I give it this. I give Snagglepuss this. Um, <laughs> he gave it a 9.3. <laughs> what? 9.3? So you're 0.8 low. I, I, okay. Roman, you're random and I love you for it. <laughs> we all do. What the hell's a 0.3? <laughs> That's what I tell you every week. Then what did Colette give it? Um, Colette gave it a nine, so okay. twenty-five high. We were close. Um, so Colette's this... a point five. Roman's like a one point eight, and I'm a point. I'm a, I'm a two. No, Roman's a two point eight, and I'm a two. My numbers won't add up till I have all the scores. Okay, in, so okay I, can't I like give that. You an update. I love, I love your work. Um, it, it's not perfect, but I, I got, I got to work with it. A no, I love the way that you're but doing it. I love the way that you're calculator doing it. while I'm going a little easier. I put, pulled my treasury edition out for this to help in case. But Silver Surfer Black, number three. Ten. I gave it a ten. <laughs> I remember. You got Zimlock panels. You got giant Silver Surfer here. Wow. The one where he goes to the layers of the planet, right? I'm and they show the different, sure. like the magma. And they... Yeah, because yeah. Ego shows up. Eh, come on. Oh. Yes, that is the one where he goes through. Yep. Yeah. I go eat all over that one. I remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I had to clean up the entire room because it was covered in Colette gooey. <laughs> I, I I bet I went a ten. I bet I went either a nine point five or a ten. But I cannot be the only person. I, I have to say a ten because of what Colette is certain of with her <laughs> her fishing fluids or whatever it's called. Fishing fluids. Okay. Gooey duck juice. 
Roman, are you also going to say 10? There's quite a tide. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Arr, yes, me, matey. Captain oh, Romy upon the For anyone who doesn't know Colette, it's an absolute joy. It's an absolute joy to know Colette. She's the best. Um, okay. I... I uh, God, I love that book. Colette gave me that book for my for Christmas. Good. Um, I I want to say I gave I I gave it a gooey or a nine point five. I don't know. I I want to say it was a gooey. It's hard to not say a gooey when we know Colette gooeyed on that. I, <laughs> yeah. I probably gave it a nine point five, but I have to on record for this game. So. <laughs> we'll go with ten for Roman then. Okay, tens around the board. Now this one's a little strange because you guys oh. didn't all read the same oh. book kitty cat what um oh sorry. did morty show up <laughs> yeah sorry oh, <laughs> morty Buddy. andrew's cat hidden behind andrew on his adorable bed oh Lady <laughs> um, wait we didn't wait huh? the, the scores we didn't all or no, no 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 okay so you had a little bit of a conan corner so this is why i was like this is carlson's continuity corner conan corner TM. We, haven't, we haven't we haven't resolved our silver server black scores yet oh yeah i didn't reveal them yeah uh, sorry that's what i thought was the confusing part um yes you guys are all correct except for jeff who did give it a 9.5 i knew i gave it a 9.5 yeah. that fucking cynical <laughs> asshole is such a dick who even lets him do this podcast that's a 10 that book is I, a 10 I did listen to the episode again today, and I can't tell you why you didn't give it a ten. But I just, uh, I, even I have, I have a hard time Silver dropping Silver a Black Four. You were like, ah, this wasn't as good as the last one, uh, and that one wasn't a ten. So fuck it, yeah. <laughs> fuck that figly guy. That's my point. Conan. So the Conan corner. Um, Colette, you read Age of Conan Valyria number one. Oh, I remember this day. It this was, was Meredith Finch and this G. Was, Jeffo. This was this that was the same day as the first book we talked about. That was the White yep. Trees. It was yeah. in the Blacksmith. Yeah. It was a like I said, very fantasy heavy week. Yeah. And Colette has also not been on a lot of episodes, and it's usually when someone's gone. So it's hard to kind of mm -hmm. get all that lined up together i guess uh, i just have to be on more is what you're telling me true. right okay it's, that's it's honestly have, me begging you to be on more it's tough great. to have four people but i also don't want colette to be the pinch hitter so we just need to like once a month have colette's four person we need to do a four person okay sorry the, so the valeria yes colette 100 on kind of remember some be of on this week actually before Django wasn't going to be on this week uh, Ooh. Like, it was going to be a four person that Django was like, it's my birthday. I'm going to not be on this week. So that that's uh, that's peak behind Happy the Happy birthday, Django. Yeah, fucking guy. Happy birthday, Dust. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so you want my score for the Valeria or did so you want to give them the I, I, I'll, I'll give them the, I'll okay. let them start thinking. Um, and then you guys read Age of Conan Exodus. It was uh, one shot by Isad Ribic, um, written oh, and drawn. Yeah. I think he did the colors as well. Like it was all Isad Ribic. Good lord, I I love Isad Ribic's art. I can't remember any Conan story he's ever done. I'm gonna say wow. an eight because I remember Oh, I remember like eight or an eight point five, but I remember being a little like, I don't know, the eyes. It wasn't as much the beautiful Isad Ribic art I feel like that I call into my brain. I don't remember this book at all. <laughs> he was running so... through the snow and there was wolves. I'm like 
I that sounds like this. the setup of a good Conan story to me. Yeah, it, the <laughs> it was a sod rivet. Good art. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, Writing was not that great, I'm sure, as well. Are you I think. giving Roman hints? Are you hint- are you giving Roman? I guess. Hints? I guess I kind of father am. of the continuity corner. <laughs> father of the continuity corner. <laughs> I don't like pain. Pain hurts. That's a line from Conan the Destroyer, I think. And the score was. I'm gonna say that whatever this mystery Conan book is, I gave it a an eight. Okay. And Colette? Um, I probably wanted to give that book like a three or a four. I don't I'm gonna say I gave it a five based solely on the hot blacksmith. <laughs> Let's cut the discussion there because I feel like Colette liked it more than that, and I need her to be really wrong. But maybe she's really absolutely she's right on the fucking money, Fuck Jeff. You, Colette. She's Fuck always you. right on the fucking God money. God damn it! God damn it! Okay, God but here's it. the thing: I'm rarely on the podcast, so it's easier for me to have a memory of the books that yeah. I score. That's generous so. of you to say and do, but we just need to do better. We just need <laughs> Roman. We need to do better, and Django okay, is a garbage yeah. dumpster fire. So <laughs> obviously, needs to do better. So. Roman, you gave it a 7.75, and Jeff gave it a 7.5. So 0. 0.25, 0. 0.5 off. So I believe Roman is currently losing the most with minus yeah. 2.25. 2, 2. 2. No, actually, no, it's Jeff. I'm sorry. Fucking Jeff. That Jeff, guy. it's three. <laughs> no, Jeff, that's good. That guy, he, listen, he's a bit of a tyrant anyway. Listen, this was episode 218. I'm incredibly excited that we got to have all three of us here. And we got Andrew, who's replaced Django. So look forward to Andrew every Ang- Monday. Andrew. <laughs> more dust, more farts, more butts. <laughs> um, we had a couple emails. We'll get to those next week. We're running long today. Andrew, do you want to do any housekeeping for us before we get out? Do you want to do the outro? Get us out of here? Yeah, I was. I've got a question. I've been thinking of. Oh, okay, well, that will save that. Save that for your outro. If you got any emails or any questions you want to respond, to, send them to Jeff at thecomicsplace.com. I want all of them. I want them all. Even if they don't get read online, I love to eat them up and read them, put them in my brain, and tell other people about them. It's amazing. Um, like us on your podcast app. Write a review. If you're episode 218 and you haven't liked or written a review yet. What are you doing? Come on, help a buddy out. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Colette, seriously, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I will always be here anytime you let me. It's not even just, you know, just ask. Also, Braden, just ask. I'm too busy to, like, actually schedule things. So people, just ask if you want to be here. Everyone's invited. Roman, thank you for being here. Thank you for having us, for making this all happen. (laughs) Andrew, thank you for being here. You're a saint. Thank you. And, um... Roman, or sorry, Andrew, send us on out of here. I hear you have a question. Yeah, um, it's not as weird as Django's, but what's your favorite trade or hardcover on your shelf? Give me a sentence, or more importantly, a haiku. Why? Uh, And that's in honor of Jay. And that one's for listeners. I want to hear from listeners. Yeah, that's for listeners. Favorite book on your shelf. I want to hear that. Haikus um, preferred, but not required. And Andrew, if you want to just break down the syllabic breakdown of a haiku voice before we get out of here. Five, seven, 
five. I fucking love this guy. Um, <laughs> listen, this is the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast. Even when we're in a hurry, we just love being around each other, and it's the absolute best thing. I, I look forward to getting talked to these people about comics every single week. I love talking about comics, and the only thing better than that is getting to talk to people that you love about comics, and it is awesome to have a rotating cast of people that I fucking love. So, um, on behalf of Colette and Roman and Andrew, I am Jeff. This was Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, episode 218. Love you all. See you next week.